I thought it would be good just to uh, tell you a little bit about our church. So uh, Terry and Linda, um, we've been friends with them for a long, long, long time. I was actually going to say uh, w- when I was preaching this morning, this afternoon, that they the real deal. Uh, you know, when you've known somebody for a long period of time and you just see them in easy moments and difficult moments, they always behave the same way. It's about Jesus and connecting to Jesus. And uh, so it's wonderful. Um, even this last, uh, we were here a few months ago with our daughters, and uh, there was a moment where Terry sat with uh, one of my daughters, and he said something so hard and straight to her that nobody on this planet would get away with. And, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know if you've ever had this with Terry. Terry can chop your arm off, you know, with a, a, a hacksaw. And uh, you say, hey, thanks, Terry, that's really kind of you. You know, it's just, he can do that. I don't know how he gets away with it, but he does. And uh, he said something to, uh, to my daughter, and I was, like, waiting for the explosion, and I could just see her weighing it up. And I thought, there's a, that's a great, great gift. And I've been the recipient of many painful moments with Terry and Linda where Terry's spoken very straightly <laughs> into my life. And the tendency, as Terry said, is to run. And we never run. We walk into those. We walk. I love that lean into the light, you know, and, uh, because that's real genuine church Jesus community. And uh, last night when we were, uh, we had the privilege of being with you guys uh, at the party, at Tehillah's party, um, it is the real deal, and it was just lovely to, to be there and to see it, your, your beautiful community. So um, that's me by introduction. If you, actually last night felt very much like our home church, and uh, the reason why our church would feel very similar to yours is that we've been discipled by Terry and Linda and uh, so, as I said, we were in our 20s when we joined their church, number 29 and 30 in their church plant. And uh, then many, many years later, on a very windy road, we've ended up uh, at the church that I currently lead. And so much of our DNA just naturally comes out of stuff that we've experienced, that's been modeled, that we've learned uh, over the years. So uh, I feel very, very much at home. Your community is very, very similar to ours, except we don't have the gift of hospitality that Linda has, or the ability to make food the way that that Linda does. And in that chicken, what's that chicken shop that you went to? Zeku. I say, if we had one of those in London, I tell you, there's a there's a business opportunity for somebody. If you want to come to London, that place would take off. We don't have things like that, but um, it was just really, really lovely uh, to be there, and we are so grateful to Terry and Linda. Our church loves Terry and Linda. Um, Terry's brought a number of words that I think have defined the season that we're in as a church. Um, and then um, Jubilee asked me to send their love to you. We've been praying for you guys, uh, especially over the last little while, very much daily. And uh, so they have all been sending much love. I. It's been really interesting, the season that Louise and I have been on in the last few months. We've been to lots and lots of churches and uh, what you experience and what you have in your community is actually quite special. And uh, it sounds a bit crazy to say because you think, well, surely all Jesus-oriented churches are going to be the same. But actually, you guys have got something really special. And I I sense that when we were in Malibu as well, that there's a a great desire for Jesus to be the center of everything. And you think that, you know, that's going to be most churches. But actually, a lot of churches just 
Jesus is part of the deal. He's not the deal. And, uh, you know, I, I get the sense that for you guys, community, all those things are wonderful and special, but it, it is really all about Jesus. And everything else fits around that rather than, uh, than the, 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 wrong, the wrong way around. And so going to the Malibu conference was lovely because uh, um, the Genesis Collective, uh, because it genuinely was all about Jesus rather than little tricks that we can learn to help our churches grow. And um, uh, processes are important. I get all of that. But it was very much about let's really focus on Jesus and then everything else falls into place. And uh, you guys, I think, are, are, are doing that really, really well uh, in through the good times and the difficult times. So I, as I've been visiting churches, I, never, I try never to preach the same. I have once or twice preached a sermon that I've preached somewhere else. But I was just praying and saying, God, what do you want to give uh, to this community? And I want to read something to you. I've got a friend who I've known for a long time, and one of my other friends said to him, I was preaching at a church this afternoon, and he said, the word that I've got for you is, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I felt that for you. And then Terry mentions it. I thought, God, that's what we've got to do. We've got to rest in him, and he will give us. It's a promise. It's a command. He will give us the rest that we so desperately need. So fortunately, God never gave me a rebuke to bring to you. He brought me an encouragement, okay? So it's all good, uh, which is much nicer because I love Jesus and I love his church, and it's far better bringing a, uh, an encouragement than a rebuke. Won't you turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. It's a, a story you've most probably read many times, and I ummed and awed whether I would read it and, and, and uh, bring it this afternoon, but I feel it's of, of the Lord. So Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 36 onward, it's the, it's the woman who comes and anoints Jesus. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. None of them had the money to repay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven loves, sorry, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to say thank you that your word is so powerful. It cuts to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that you bring revelation to us that uh, even this afternoon, to each and every one of us sitting in this room, you can say something different. You can take little parts of this passage and speak to us. So I want to say thank you for that. Thank you that this account of Jesus and this woman and Simon is something we can learn from, something that you can speak into our hearts about. And I want to say thank you, Lord, that it's a grace story. It's about somebody who didn't deserve grace, somebody who wasn't invited, and yet you ordained that she meet with you and that her life be changed forever. And so, Lord, I want to say thank you that I'm like that woman, a sinner who doesn't deserve anything, but you pursued me and you drew me to yourself and you gave me a hope and a purpose and a, a changed life. And Father, I want to pray this afternoon that you would speak to our hearts and that we might find grace and your love in the story. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I absolutely love uh, this passage of Scripture. I've actually never preached on it as a passage. I've mentioned elements of it. Um, but over the last little while, God's spoken to me over and over and over through uh, this story. And I just want to walk through it a little bit and then bring some, uh, some application. And the, um, the thing that I find interesting is that you've got this learned man, the, the man who knows everything, uh, who invites Jesus. And uh, Jesus and I would imagine some of his disciples and uh, they're these people and they're sitting around. There's a low table and then everybody reclines at the table with their feet outward, sort of like a bicycle spoke. That's why she stood at his feet um, at, at that point in time. So they were, all their heads were at the center and their feet were, were working out. And um, I'd never spotted before for a long time, uh, maybe I'm a slow learner and you spotted this long time ago, but I never, I never spotted the difference, the, the, the comparison in the story that Jesus is trying to make between uh, this woman and Simon. Uh, the man who knows everything, the, 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 he knows the Bible, um, but this woman comes in and there's a very, very different approach to the way that they see uh, Jesus. And uh, so we'll, we'll read later that Simon doesn't do some of the things that he should do hospitality-wise. He really dishonors Jesus. And uh, when Jesus comes in, in those days when somebody came into your home, you, the first thing you would do is you'd give them the welcome kiss. You'd kiss them and say, welcome to my home. And then they'd sit down and you'd have their feet washed, which was a, a sign of honoring and respecting, you know, walking in their uh, Birkenstocks and they've got to have their feet washed because they're dirty. And uh, Simon doesn't do that for Jesus either. 
And then the other thing they would do is they would anoint with uh, oil over their heads and it was a, uh, just a welcoming, beautiful gesture, almost like going to Wee Spa, you know, and uh, for the ladies who went to Wee Spa the other day, you know, so it's a really beautiful uh, pampered moment, you know. And uh, Simon doesn't do that for Jesus. Uh, he is really, really incredibly rude. And I love this story. This woman, I love, the, also I love in the, in the Bible that they, they don't give you too much information about this woman because it allows me to relate to her because it doesn't define her too clearly. There's a woman, she hasn't been invited, but she hears of Jesus and she knows that's the place where I want to go. I love the fact that we don't actually really, uh, theologians have ideas on this, but we don't really, really know. But somehow I think she's heard of Jesus. She's had some sort of experience of Jesus, but she knows she's a woman in turmoil we don't even know what her turmoil is. People write all sorts of things about what, what's going on in her life. She was a, a sinner like you and like me. Everybody then tries to say what kind of a sinner she was. She was a sinner like you and like me. I can relate to that. And she goes there. She knows the place where I'm going to get help. I'm, I'm in turmoil. I need Jesus. And she gate crashes. And uh, she's standing there. And Simon, who's been so rude to her, has done nothing for Jesus and she goes and she cries over his feet and then she takes or she does this incredibly undignified thing she takes the thing that's the sign of her beauty and uh, her status in the in, in the in the place which she doesn't really have because everybody comments on the fact that she's uh, a, a, a woman a sinner but she takes her hair and she i mean think about this she takes her hair now, i can't really relate to this i know but uh, but she takes her hair and she puts all the dirt of the streets off of Jesus' feet onto her hair. It's actually quite a powerful thing. She cries. And as she's crying, she's realizing this man is who it's about. It's about Jesus. She weeps. She washes his feet. And then she takes this expensive perfume and she breaks the jar and she pours it over his feet far better than the oil she takes something so costly to her and she puts it over jesus feet. this most incredible picture of worship to jesus such an example to me and in that moment she's crying out to the lord and she's saying oh, i need you and what are the people watching this undignified moments of worship thing? We, we must be so careful when we judge people. We judge people in the way they, they worship sometimes. It's quite easy to do. And uh, Simon says, you know, in his, in his mind, he says, this Jesus, he can't be a prophet. He, he hasn't even spotted what's going on here. He doesn't even know who she is. And imagine, imagine. Simon's shock. I mean, it's sort of like Tehila when when the revelation of the card came. You could see that that moment of how did Mina know what I, what my card was? There was a moment, didn't you? Okay, okay, a little bit of. Well, imagine Simon. He's thinking these bad thoughts about Jesus, and suddenly Jesus says, "Hey, Simon, I'm going to answer your thoughts." <laughs> that must have been for Simon a uh, quite an interesting moment, you know. Uh, we miss this sometimes. I love thinking of how do people, how would I be if, if I was X, Y, or Z in, in the Bible? And uh, thank you, I need a tissue. Okay. 
And Jesus tells this story, and he, he says, basically, there's a guy, he owes somebody $500, and there's another person who owes $5,000. And the moneylender says, I'll write both of those. Neither of the guys can pay the 500 or the 5000 And uh, the moneylender says, I'll write both of those off. And Jesus says, which, which of those two guys is going to be the most grateful? And Simon says, well, the guy who's had $5,000 written off, obviously. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. And then there's this moment for Simon that would have been terrible, I would imagine. We don't actually know how Simon responds. I would love to really know the, 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 the story after this. But um, Jesus says to him, you, you didn't kiss me. She's kissed my feet. You haven't poured uh, oil over my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Um, so just this comparison thing. And then Jesus says an interesting thing. He says, um, just the, there's a comment here that I must just uh, comment on. In the, in, in the passage, it says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. And um, I remember this from when I was studying the commentaries. The, the, the Greek's a little bit interesting in this passage. It's not saying that she was forgiven because she loved even though it's, if you read the English, it sort of implies that, but it's, it's, it doesn't. It's, it's tied up to the fact that the one who's been forgiven much loves much. And she loves because she's forgiven. She doesn't get forgiven because she loves. It's a grace picture. Jesus loves us, and then we respond. It's, it's not the other way around. And uh, Jesus says to Simon, this woman, she loves me, and she's been forgiven. Well, Jesus then, sorry, says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So the, the message, the bottom line for this is, let's keep loving Jesus, let's be more like the, the woman than Simon, but we need to beware of the Simon, the Pharisee that lurks in our hearts. <laughs> Because I see Simon every now and then in my own heart. You know, I get busy, busy, busy. I throw a good party, invite everybody. Uh, Jesus isn't the center of it. And I'm not saying you know, we throw parties, but Jesus needs to be in the middle of things. I do lots of things, and I suddenly think, oh man, Jesus is the afterthought. We do lots of things in church. I'm actually going home after Malibu. God really, really spoke to me clearly about some things that we're doing in the life of our church that Jesus has been pushed a little bit to the side. It's easy to do church. And leave Jesus out of things. And uh, he's just provoked me. I won't go into the details. But some things that just need to be changed. And we can be a little bit like Simon. I uh, can be a little bit judgmental sometimes. Seeing people worshipping and thinking. Oh you know they're not worshipping quite the way I do. And you make all sorts of judgment calls. Um, I see Simon uh, come up. And I want to. I don't want to just have Jesus at my table. And not lavish him with oil. And love. And tears. Uh, it's got to be extravagant worship that I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be undignified. I'm going to take my hair and get dirt on my hair as I wash his feet. I'm going to love Jesus with everything in me. We've just uh, got a new dining room table. And um, we've a bit of a gear change. I'll hopefully link these two parts together a little bit later. 
we swapped rooms. Um, we learned from Terry and Linda the power of having meals together around the table. The story of Jesus and Simon and the woman happens around a table. And uh, lots of amazing things happen around tables, food and, and so on. You think of how many stories in, in Jesus' life uh, took place around food. Even Peter denying Jesus when he reinstates Peter and he says, Peter, you messed up, but I, I love you, I forgive you, I've got a purpose and a plan. In fact, I'm going to build a church on you. Um, I, I, that happens around some food. So food and tables are, are a key thing. So... Um, we, we realized our, our lounge dining room in the UK, it's open plan, and uh, our, the, the lounge area was smaller, uh, sorry, it was larger, and our dining area was smaller. And we felt uh, just recently we wanted to swap the rooms around, and we wanted to make the bigger room the dining room, ta room and get a bigger dining table, because we spend more time around the dining table than we do sitting in the lounge. And uh, as we were doing that, um, I said to Louise, I, I really want to build our own dining room table so there's a guy in the church he got saved on an operating theater about to have a, a, a valve a replacement and he gave his life to the lord and it's been a beautiful beautiful story and this guy has taken up woodwork so i said okay this is a great opportunity we'll build this table together and it gives me an opportunity to do some discipleship and just hang out with this guy so we found uh, some old cast iron legs. Our house was built in the 1870s as well. So it's an old house. And I wanted these, these cast iron legs. I saw them, went to this, uh, the, this place that was selling them. They were rusted and everything. And, but it had a wooden top on it. And it looked like an Ikea top. It was painted. It had like a, a varnish and all sorts of things on it. You couldn't quite see what it was like. Um, and you couldn't get to it and pick it up. And we knew that these cast iron legs were really chunky. So I went with a, a friend. He's much bigger, stronger than me. And uh, he bent over. It was behind a whole lot of other rubbish. And he went to pick this table up. And um, he couldn't lift it. And so he said, oh, Stuart, you haven't unscrewed the, the table from the legs. So I said, no, 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 I have. He said, no, 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 I can't lift this up. It's, it's not taken apart. I said, no, they're the screws. It's taken apart. So like eyes big. And we went and we lifted up this table. And we realized that it wasn't an Ikea tabletop. It's a solid piece of American oak. And uh, American oak, just so you know, I only learned this the other day, is much more dense than British oak. So it grows slower and thicker and stronger. So anyway, so, but it's American oak that I've got. And it's only in wood that that matter, it works that way. Okay, and everything else, it's, it's different. Okay, just I see some of the guys <laughs> smiling like, yeah, 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 of course it's that way, you know. Um, anyway. I uh, won't go into, into any more of that. But anyway, we've, we've got this table, and we're busy working on it, and it's just been beautiful. And, um, you know, we, we've been called to, to do hospitality and to do fellowship. You know, they, they, the, the disciples, what did the early church do? They devoted themselves to fellowship, to koinonia. Um, koinonia. So they, they, they spent time in each other's homes. Uh, they broke bread together. It was Great, deep, 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 deep fellowship. So we wanted to do that more, bigger table, more people. And um, just a, a quick uh, aside, aside quickly. If you go to a party like last night and you see the way that Linda will put food together, that can be a little bit intimidating for, for us it is, okay? I want to just always challenge. There will always be in every community a bunch of people who do that kind of thing much easier than others get over it and do it anyway because actually i think sometimes we disqualify ourselves from 
um, blessing other people, hospitality. And we use all sorts of things. We use things like the size of our house because there are always going to be people in church. Uh, we, we've got 23 nationalities in our church. Um, it's very, very different. We've got very, very poor, very, very affluent. It's very, very mixed. And you can use those kind of things as an excuse for not having fellowship. Or well, I don't do it as well as that person. Mostly, people want to be in fellowship with us because they want to be with us, not what they get on the table. People will rather be in our house having baked beans on toast than a lavish meal on their own. Although a lavish meal on our own sounds pretty good to me as well. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, my illustration falls apart. Okay, but uh, <laughs> people want to just be with us. And I think there's something powerful about even if you've got a, a small place, a small table, and you think it's insignificant, if you get people around that, it's very, very powerful. Uh, so don't cut yourself out of the opportunities that God could give you. We need to fight for fellowship and for community, and it happens in lots of different places, not just in people with big back gardens, etc. Um, uh, Discipleship takes place in those moments, doesn't it? Quite often. I mean, some of our deepest conversations happen around a table with food and, and with people. Um, one, th one, one guy comes to my mind just quickly in terms of being creative. We've got a, a young guy in our church who desperately, desperately, well, he has the gift of hospitality, but he lives in a, com uh, a communal space where they don't have a, a place that he can invite people into. So he's just done the most genius thing. So he thinks to himself, okay, how do I do hospitality in our church? How do I build community, da, 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 bless other people? So he goes and he invites himself into your house. And so he'll say, hey, Louise, Stuart, we, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of people. Louise, you're going to cook. Um, and so he lays everything, organized. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, okay, but he does sometimes cook. But he, the idea is that he's, he's, he's realized, I can't do this in my space, but I will... Go and be a part of it and make it happen somewhere else. And he's drawn people into that that are people that haven't up until this time been pulled in. And I thought, oh, I love the creativity and we've all got to fight for that. You know, unity and community, I think, is what Terry said earlier. But here's the, here's the challenge where I want to try and tie this all together. When, when we started building this table, Louise... Louise is, a, I'm a hoarder, I like, I'm sentimental, I'm a hoarder, Louise is an accountant, uh, there's a T-bar, and there's a left and there's a right, what comes in means something's got to go out, okay, and Louise gets rid of anything, so I'm always scared sitting still for too long in case I end up getting chucked out as well, you know, so anything that sits goes, you know, so Louise says, okay, we're getting this new dining room table, the old table has to go, and I, I was kicking and screaming about it. I didn't want to do it. Anyway, Louise then offered it to friend, dear friends of ours. They need a table. They have no table. They're going to feel sorry for them in a moment. I don't want them to feel sorry for this couple. I didn't want to get rid of our table, seriously. And I couldn't, couldn't articulate what was going on inside of me. And then it took ages. And then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, it dawned on me. It was the memories of the table. And it was the memories of everything that had taken place over that table. And, you know, around that table, thousands of people, over a thousand people, I don't know how many people have sat around that table over the 20 whatever years that we've had it. And there's been laughter, there's been tears. 
um, joyful moments, terrifying moments, um, all sorts of things. I was saying to one of the parents the other day, you know, I can remember vividly my little girls who are now 16 and 18 sitting at that table and feeding them. And you know, here's the bizarre thing. If you're a parent of young children, getting upset with my kids because they messed on the table what a waste of a moment, eh, to get upset. Why did I get upset by some of these things? And I remember them scratching on the table and thinking, you know, I was really hacked off. And you think, well, that's, ah, now I'm really upset that table's going because it's got those scratches because they were made by somebody that I love and I care for. You know, and we, we sweat the small stuff sometimes. We need to just th get things in perspective, you know. And uh, anyway, I, I didn't want this table to go. And then we all need friends that are just straight with us. Um, Peter, the big guy who couldn't lift the, the table, uh, he, he then found out that I was upset that getting rid of the table. And he basically just said to me, get over it, Stuart, you know. Um, he's not very pastoral. Um, but he, he, he <laughs> was he more pastoral? Than that? That's not what I heard. Okay, my memory is he just said, get over it, get rid of it. And then he said something. He said, You'll make new memories around a new table. Um, the point is, it's about the people, not about the table. You're going to sit around whatever is there, and you're going to have fellowship together. You're going to have deep fellowship. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed. The word committed to fellowship in, in, in the Greek is it's what a mother is to her children. It's not a wishy-washy thing. It's a deep thing. They were committed to fellowship and a whole lot of other things. So your community and Jubilee have the same challenge. We love sitting around our table, and we love Jesus at the center of it. The disciples love Jesus being at the center of their table, and it's beautiful. The danger of it, though, is that we sometimes don't want to get that table a little bit bigger. And because I love that so much, I don't, want a, I don't want a bigger table. And in our churches, when we've got a good community, and you guys have a good community, the challenge is to always leave some spaces at the table for new people to come in and to fight as hard for those new people to come in and to make memories with you and to be a part of it. And so Jesus says we need to live like this, and it's beautiful and it's deep. But we need to remember the purpose is also for those that are not here, that Jesus so desperately wants. So we need to, when we are having fellowship in our own homes, I know you do this, I know you do this, but we need to have people who are not believers in our homes. We need to always be thinking mission. And I know you're a generous church, I know you understand mission, but don't, don't forget it. And I say that to myself because I love our community. I don't want to lose the way it is sometimes but Jesus has called us to go into all of the world and to make disciples of all nations it's not just a small little intimate moment with a good bunch of friends so that's my left hook right at the end of the preach uh, so it is meant to be encouraging but there is also a reminder there keep some spaces because I tell you what, Jesus is going to, he has a habit of bringing people that are not invited. And there is no place at the table with them. And sometimes they have to get on their feet, uh, uh, on their knees. And they have to connect with Jesus in our midst and humble us. And say, you should have some space at the table for this woman. So that's 
the message, I want to tell you that none of the end of that was in my notes. Um, that was, I just believe God's word for us. Can I pray? Father, as we come to break bread, just the most beautiful moment where your community can get around a table with you at the center of it. I want to say thank you so much. Jesus, I want to say thank you for the way you modeled all of this for us. The fact that you called us to come and sit at your table with you. We've been invited. We've been chosen. And I want to pray, Lord, that uh, as we break bread now, we would be reminded afresh of it's so simple. It's so simple. Jesus, you, you took some bread and you took some wine at the end of a beautiful meal. And you broke that bread and you said to your disciples and you say to us now, this is my body broken for you. And you, 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 you passed the wine around and you said, this is, this is my blood which is is going to be shed, it's, it is spilled so that you can be in a right relationship with me. That blood is shed so that I can experience the forgiveness of sins. How ironic, Lord, that your blood is red. And that red blood was spilled so that my sins, though they were red as scarlet, could be as white as snow. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Lord, as we break bread, I want to pray that it would be meaningful to us, uh, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, connect with each and every one of us in this room, that you would encourage us, that you would, Holy Spirit, be amongst us, that you are our comforter, you're our parakletos, you come alongside us when we feel like we're sinking, you tie yourself to us so that we float. <laughs> what a beautiful thing. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. Bring revelation of Jesus. Thank you that we have the forgiveness of sins through, through what we celebrate this afternoon. May you be glorified, Jesus. Be the center, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I asked Terry if I could lead the breaking of bread. If you want to say anything or, 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 or butt in, that's, that's fine. If anybody wants to add anything. Um, what I thought w would be lovely for us to do is um, to come uh, messy church, just get some bread and some wine and then just gather in little groups at different places in the room. Isn't it wonderful that we don't need a, a priest to break bread for us or it doesn't have to be consecrated in any fancy kind of way. It's the, the bread and the wine at a meal, but it points to something that is so unbelievably incredible. And we do it with each other. We do it in our homes. We do it here together. Now, won't you minister to each other as you break bread? Um, give it to your friend and say, this, this bread is uh, a symbol of Jesus breaking his body for you, his broken body. This is his blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And then pray a blessing over your friend. Uh, if there's something that you want to pray into, then pray into that. But just do that in little groups. Uh, if you are... Uh, new here or you don't have anybody that you come with um, the reason I will be we call, do you call them Billy Nomates in, in America okay I'll be Billy Nomates if you don't have a friend that you're going to come with I'll be your friend okay I don't have a friend either Louise says um, or Louise will but let's come Messy Church 
grab the bread and the wine. This is for those of us who are believers. If you take that and then pray with each other, break bread together, and uh, then Terry will wrap up. Okay.